0: Episode 170, King Jeroboam II and the Prophet Jonah and Amos It's quite unfortunate we have so little on northern Israel's greatest king, by geopolitical standards. King Jeroboam II had a great head start. His father at the end of his reign smashed part of the walls of Jerusalem and looted its treasures— and left him with a very stable country, free from troublesome enemies and a large equipped army. The regional situation was the following. Judah was weak at the moment. What was left of Moab and Philistia was weak. Tyre was in decline. Aram was beaten down by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians seemed to have instantly disappeared from world history. In Nineveh, Adad-Narari II died, and his empire crumbled after him. There was a civil war, and upon his death, entire parts of the empire broke off, and great cities revolted. His son couldn't handle it, and the generals couldn't keep up with all the uprisings. Then there was successive plagues that decimated Nineveh. It's not this warlike civilization at the moment that, that just is going to conquer the world and everyone's terrified of them. I mean, They're in disintegration stage. It's like a boxer which just took the crown and immediately was knocked out by successive fights over and over. The Assyrian Empire could easily be done with as we know it, but there is a massive humbling occurring for reasons we will cover later. Damascus, which was a sub-state under Assyria, just quietly watched the Assyrians go away, not in conflict but out of the disintegration of their empire. Their forces retreating, leaving Aram, under the head of Damascus, free to manage itself. Into this power vacuum, a resurgent Aram as a powerful state was prevented by Israel's new king. Jeroboam II was just starting out as king. He was organizing his forces, his finances, and the structure of his government. The army was itching to spread out after their success in Judah. The king was curious about his next actions, and out of nowhere, like you would expect, a prophet comes to visit this new king. The prophet is probably who you don't expect, though. Elijah and Elisha have gone by the wayside. Here's a newcomer on the scene. His name is Jonah, and he prophesies to the king he will restore the northern boundaries of Israel to the extent of Solomon's kingdom. Jeroboam II, who is wondering his next move, takes this word with boldness and launches a massively successful military campaign claiming massive amounts of territory and even subjugating Damascus proper. He is incredibly successful over doubling the size of the territory of northern Israel. Here is the biblical account, 2 Kings 14.23. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. He reigned forty-one years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through the servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepper. The Lord had seen how bitter everyone in Israel was, whether slave or free. They were suffering, and there was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said, he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. So according to this, the Lord had compassion on Israel, and granted them relief, and prosperity, and honestly, this is that last chance for glory in this age for Israel. The biblical account continues, 2 Kings 14.28. As for the other events of Jeroboam's reign, all he did, and his military achievements, including how he recovered for Israel both Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Juna, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? Jeroboam rested with his ancestors, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son succeeded him as king. Not that much considering how amazing this king was militarily and strategically. But this is probably the point. Only generations back, the kingdom of Israel was on the verge of extinction under Haziel. Now it's back on the rise. God is giving Israel one last chance. Jeroboam didn't worship God. He was probably most like his namesake, the first Jeroboam. He had incredible, incredible blessings but he chose his gods over the one and only true God. It's like God gave two things to Israel in this generation, the incredible blessing of prosperity, but with it was the blessing to have prophets roaming the land, prophesying judgment, or a return to God. Here you go, Israel. You choose. We have the evidence of the prosperity of this age through minor prophets. Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. These guys give us the picture of the land under Jeroboam the Second and what he did with this great prosperity. So with the limited biblical account on this king directly, we get lots of cultural references from the prophets. And there are some very interesting events outside of the biblical account, which we have to weave in. So, in addition to Second Chronicles and Second Kings, which is the account of the kingdoms during um, the kings of Judah and Israel, we also have the the three prophets during this time frame and their books, and the following historical events. One we already covered: the first Olympics is dated to the second year of Jeroboam's reign in seven seventy six B.C., which we covered in the previous episode. There's also a substantial plague that decimates the population of Nineveh in this generation. This is dated to 765 B.C. Next is a massive solar eclipse, widely known as the first truly documented solar eclipse in world history. This is dated two years later in 763 B.C., Another major plague hits four years later in Nineveh, around 761 or 760 BC. Further, in 760 BC, a huge earthquake hits the region. Archaeology confirms it and is estimated around 7.8 to 8.2 on the Richter scale, and there was many references by prophets prophets in this time frame. In fact, the book of Amos begins with this phrase. It says that um, all these events occurred two years prior to the great earthquake. There's also a direct reference in Zechariah 14.5, which shows the significance of this event even generations later. Lots going on. And then Jonah arrives in Nineveh on 759 B.C., so he arrives in Nineveh one year after the earthquake and one or two years after the last plague and there was a previous plague even five years prior to that. And then that was four years after the solar eclipse. So recently I tripped on to something else. A huge increase in the Earth's geomagnetic fields around the time of this generation or as late as the next two generations from now. Honestly, I'm not really sure how this plays into all of history and what's going on, but there's a lot to slide into these accounts, and especially as we get into the major prophet time periods as well. So here's something to the audience out there. If you have anything else, and you don't want me to miss it, as we put together the accounts of the prophets and with the accounts of the kings and the nations— and the historical events, if you don't want to make sure I don't miss anything, please make sure to email us at messagetokings at gmail.com. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's start by speaking to the prosperity of this era. It's our historical backdrop. It's truly important to understand the significance of this. This is Israel's great chance. Israel is honestly at its apex and dominating the region. Assyria was getting crushed by rebellions and civil war, now plagues, and there's even signs in the heavens. There's even talk of a a prophecy of, uh, you know, this is a secular prophecy, but that the king would be overthrown. Judah was on the rise, but Israel dominated the region. Its economy was extremely strong. Archaeology confirms the economic power of Israel during this age. Archaeology confirms increases in structures, building, marks of prosperity, mostly coming from this specific time period. God will be judging Israel for this treatment of this use of prosperity. The prophet Hosea is probably the one who speaks to truly how unfaithful Israel was to God and how God was still pouring out His love on His people despite their unfaithfulness. So we'll address the prophet Hosea in his book later in the reign of Jeroboam II. For now, let's introduce another prophet, which will be on the next episode. A shepherd who learned to be a prophet in the fields of Judah is called to go to Israel and to Bethel to speak to the idol worship in northern Israel. He approaches Bethel and sees construction of buildings and a new temple to the golden calf. He sees droves of people and witnesses horrible things at their new moon festivals. The Lord makes him walk around prior to speaking. He wants him to take it in. He had to circumvent the entire facility, the entire temple grounds. He was to look at everything that was going on before he spoke. The king was there, in his finest robes, worshipping the golden calf. Temple priests were there, and all the king's finest men were there. There was businessmen and travelers from other nations. There was markets strung up, displaying the wealth of the nations, and the people all seemed to be in the greatest pleasure, worshipping the gods of their choice. The man, whose name was Amos, which means faithful, is asked to speak, and since he traveled from Judah, they let him stand upon the stage to speak to the people. The moment he opened his mouth, the Spirit of God falls, and all come to understand a prophet was among them. Next week we cover the prophet Amos and his scathing condemnation and judgment coming upon a world that had forgotten about God in the midst of their greatest time of blessing. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page if you want to chat. Email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.